Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm the host. My name is Brian Vitale. Joining me is the usual crew. We've got Josh Torres. Old people rise up this week. It's our week. Let's go. Uh, context incoming for that. Uh, we have Adam Vitale. I have no idea what he's referring to. <laughs> uh, we have the young the young gun of the group. We have James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. The gods must be crazy. Uh, so it's it's a pretty big week. Uh, it's back half of July. We've got the big re-release of Live Alive. That's, you know, spoiler. We're going to be talking about Live Alive a lot on this podcast. Uh, we're going to be spoiler light talking about it, but we are going to talk about our impressions of the games and the features of the site, our review coverage and things like that. Uh, we also have a few other releases that are upcoming that we'll be talking about some of the marketing for that as we go into Xenoblade 3 and maybe Digimon Survive, a couple other news bits and some demos. I don't know. It's a busy time of year. It's the cool part of the summer where, well, I wish it was cooler than it is. A lot going on. We have a lot to talk about. I think we have like four people here. Everyone here has played Live Alive to some extent, except Adam. Who is stuck playing another game uh, currently coming out later? I'm coming out. It's not hiding. But yeah, uh, right. I'll, play, yes. I'll, play, I'll play Live Alive at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, in, in a week, we'll all be in the same. We'll be we'll be in the same boat. Where we'll just be switching gears to talk about that, and we'll squeeze in uh, Digimon and Stranger Paradise and all the other stuff that's kind of infringes uh, as we can. Yeah, I guess that's basically what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Live Alive released just a little over a day ago. It had the demo, of course, uh, a few days earlier that had some transfer capability to the main game. We've obviously talked about it uh, with some preview capability uh, that Chow and Paige had access to. That'll be the, the main topic of the week, and then we'll squeeze in some of the other things that uh, Josh and a few others have been playing as we go through. The first shout-out here is that Paige Chamberlain did write up our Live Alive review that is up on the site. She is not able to make it to the podcast regularly. She, uh, she's time zone difference is insane. She's from Australia. She'll make it sometimes, but not regularly. And then also we have Chow with us. Uh, Chow is a Live Alive evangelist <laughs> of some sort. And I'm sure he will have plenty of opinions on comparing the the remake to the original game and all the features that he's written up for the game up on the site as well. Uh, we've got me and James who have played a little bit of Live Alive with the remake that came out. And then Josh, who also has some thoughts on both the original game and the uh, the new release. There's a lot of ways to tackle this and a lot of ways to go on. Eeny, meeny, many mo with Chow. So Chow, you over the last week have been basically chronicling Live Alive almost like encyclopedically on our website, all the different chapters, all the different games. So just tell me about Live Alive before you knew that a remake was coming out. Uh, what were your thoughts on the original version of this game? And just give us some background about what yeah, Live Alive is. I'll talk okay. about the original version that came out like 700 years ago, Chow. Okay. <laughs> Live Alive is basically eight different games in one. That's how I treat it, really, because it's just like a really experimental game. You want to see if a game with different main characters would work for back in the Super Nintendo days, because it's kind of unheard of. And, you know, trying to have one universal scenario to put them all together and you know that idea seems kind of far-fetched at the time but nowadays people just laugh at it you know i i feel like this game just kind of released at a at a time where it's not relevant anymore you know i um, mean originally now i'm just now. thinking now because like mm -hmm. when i was talking to Paige, i i said i'd love one of the scenarios and she's like oh it's so predictable i'm like predictable it's like this came out in 94 it's like what the hell are you talking about and it's like well i wasn't born in 94 so <laughs> so it got me to thinking it's like 
it's like the Citizen Kane plot twist back in the day, you know? Boomers talk about how awesome that plot twist about Rosebud is. But now we just look at it and we're like, eh, that's that's so normal. It's, I don't know. That's a really, really great point. I was thinking about this too, because like so many games, uh, directly or indirectly, have been taking cues and have been inspired from like the concepts presented in the original 1994 release of Live Alive. And now, like a lot of those concepts have been like almost borderline done to death in, in uh, several ways, shapes, and forms. That like it's it's I I can imagine it's difficult for people to sort of place this uh like quote unquote like new game like uh, as part of as a period piece because to many people in the West this is kind of new game uh, a new game because this never got an official release. Sure, this got like a like a, a fan translation like several years back, but. That was by no means perfect, and because of the nature of fan translation, many, 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 many people didn't, you know, get to experience that as well. So, in a, in a certain sense, like a lot of people uh, like Paige are seeing this for the first time and come into it and seeing like what's so special about this game. It's like it's cool. Like, it, like the, the, I imagine that the cool thing about it for people is like, oh, this is kind of like min- like eight mini scenarios wrapped up into one thing, and like they play that like the premises that they present are all very different but like in the moment-to-moment gameplay and like the narrative beats and how you interact with that that's probably something that they're already familiar with from something that came out like like recently like a few years ago or several years ago because you know a lot of games once again have taken somewhat uh ideas from this game and like implemented it in their own way well, speaking of that, so this is kind of interesting. I'm completely unsurprised by this, but I, uh, I'm friends with a few people in real life who are more casual gamers, which is 100% fine. They, they knew about this game and were interested. And it's just, you're, you might be able to predict what I'm going to say. They're like, oh, it's from the same people as Octopath. It has eight characters. Uh, <laughs> that's the same engine. And I'm just uh-huh. like, yeah, yeah. It's a remake of an older game, but you're, you're kind of right. <laughs> you know, not worth it to like correct more than that. Because, hey, I'm, yeah. I, didn't, I knew about this game very loosely. Like, I knew Live Alive was a game from the early 90s. I actually didn't realize that it wasn't officially localized. Maybe it's because the fan translation was so, like, so available that people just treated it as if it had been localized. Uh, And then I guess I didn't realize... I mean, it's kind of like going back to play Final Fantasy IV or other games from the same era. Uh, And we'll talk about this when we talk about the remake specifically, is that back in... You have to try to recalibrate what a video game storytelling, dialogue, and things like that were like back in that time and when i'm playing live alive the remake for my first time playing it it's kind of interesting how in several ways it feels fresh like i couldn't i there's in some ways i can't tell that it was a game that was originally in the 90s it could have just been like a stylistic throwback but then in some specific ways specifically in like when you have to select between dialogue options so uh, i've played like the Edo japan chapter and a few times in that you have to um have a decision on whether or not you spare a life or take a life and it's kind of interesting when a character will speak to you and you have to pick one of two options and then you have to then they speak to you again and then you have to pick one or one or two of the exact same dialogue options again there's certain like fringe moments like that where i'm like okay this might have made more sense uh in the original game that they just kind of kept it in place for the remake where the, a lot of the storytelling was ahead of its time 30 years ago but is uh it feels a little bit more antiquated now antiquated is a little bit of a loaded term because most of the time when i'm playing live alive i just it doesn't feel like i'm having to calibrate to play 
a game that is like outdated in any way. I'm actually really quite enjoying it from that front. Yeah, I've been, I've, you know, I've been revisiting this too. I've had about like three scenarios done. I did the prehistory, Imperial China, and Twilight of Edo Japan. And I, I'm really, really impressed, obviously, from the facelift it got. There's like a lot of really neat, like, visual touches that they added onto this that wasn't in the original release, especially in terms of like lighting, especially like, uh, in terms of like cinematography and adding a depth of field effect, which I still think it's not, uh, this, like, Depth of field isn't a great fit for the HD two D games in general. That's still I still hold on to that. And this game, like this game, like it's it's weird how they how they frame certain scenes, employing that depth of field effect. But nonetheless, it's still a visual treat. And it's hard for me to like kind of separate it from that original game because when uh, like you know Chow and I were talking about it, he's like he's like he's like dude, this is like the exact same game, just like with the, with a facelift. I'm like that's that's really interesting that like they left this pretty much largely untouched from what I've played too. Like there are like a few different item placements here and there. Some items are added, some items are removed. But some items are changes. I there are some changes to to the to the names for the times. Like one of the example is that if you play in the Wild West chapter, mm-hmm. there's one part where you meet like the the lady over there, uh Annie, and she basically said don't go to her don't go around snooping her room. And in the remake, if you do snoop around her room, you'll find her diary. Um, I think in the original fan patch or the original version, you find her panties and you give it to her and get slapped in the face. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, you do. So now you give her a diary. So I guess you could say these are the changes, you know, because right, you know, that yeah. might end somebody in you know, current times because it's not kind of the same type of humor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of doing uh, Wild West uh, next. So that is an interesting, you know, change to kind of. No, reflect the times because this also came out during a a period when that was like more socially acceptable to like include in in video games. That, that, that was era. that was just like a slapstick gag that you could find yeah. in children's cartoons and all over the place. Like yeah. exactly, even the prehistory has a lot of changes like that because it's you know it's a, it's all like nineties yeah. kind of gag sort of thing, right? It kind of reminds it's, me it's of like, like it's like an early nineties Saturday morning cartoon almost. Yeah, it reminds me of like old school Dragon Ball thinking about, you know, with all yeah. like the converted jokes with like Master Roshi and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it got the same kind of concept. Uh, what What is it? Um, in the original version, you know, you can handcraft the bag, which is a weapon that only um, the girl can use. And if you give her the bag in the original version, she comes out naked for a split second for a pixel, then she goes back in hiding. While in the new one, she just grabs you into the haystack and you know you see a little movement and he comes back and pogo's all blushing and stuff that's in the new version so there's all kinds of little things like that you know just little subtle changes but nothing too big i think the 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 thing that really throws me off is like it does have like some quality of life changes that they added like like, looking at the the mini map or radar uh, screen, which is it's it's a really funny hud because like there's nothing distinguishable about it's like it's like a, a circle a large gray circle with like just colored pips in it that just shows you the, the go this way to like go do some side stuff or go to the orange pip to, to continue the main stuff. There's like nothing else. There's not like outlines of the map or anything in it, which is really funny because it's like it's like it's a low effort radar, but it's like effective and like go leading you to where you need to go next. Because in the in the original, you just have to memorize. Okay, I've been here and here, so I have to go here next because I didn't go there. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was playing. I was playing the Distant Future chapter, which first of all, I've only played finished two of the chapters, Edo Japan and Distant Future, and I really want to talk about like how they play so differently. But in the Distant Future chapter, it's a lot of dialogue and it's a lot of 
character is saying, I'm going, it takes place on a spaceship. I'm going to go to the airlock. I'm going to go to the med bay. I'm going to go to the, this person's room. And like, I feel like playing the game originally, you'd have to pay attention and say like, okay, this character headed to this place. I should follow up on that. Uh, but now if you wanted to, you could like skip the dialogue and just follow the radar and be like, where's the orange, you know, marker. Okay. It's there. Go there. Like you kind of can turn your brain off. And I'm kind of like, eh, I feel like you lose a little bit of something there when a game just kind of telegraphs where you need to go uh, to that extent, where in this room there might be like six crew cabins and there's a little marker saying you can enter all of these, but this one with the orange mark is the one you got to go in to progress the story. You better do that. I'm just like, eh, I don't know. It takes a little bit of the wanderlust away where it almost kind of does it the opposite where it's like, well, I'm going to enter the other rooms first, neener, neener <laughs> or whatever, uh, yeah. instead of going yeah. to the, uh, the orange. Mark. I think, I think overall it's like, it's a, it's a probably a net positive because you can turn it off if you want, because in the original, like it, it was, it was sort of frustrating in the original because you, you had the, you have to think about like other, other type periods, like prehistory, like prehistory. I was like, when you get around to it, like it has like relatively open maps compared to other chapters. And like trying to find where you need to go uh, as you explore around because it has random encounters and that and that's I guess that's one thing that I should note for people who don't know like that like there are certain like enemy encounter systems that are different like in one chapter they'll have random encounters and another another one you only initiate encounters with on screen enemies it's not like consistent uh, with, with throughout each character the each character is, is kind of has their their own uh, systems going on but that that was kind of like the frustrating thing in the original like in that chapter. Specifically, it's like, where do I need to go? You keep on uh, going through random encounters, trying to figure out, like, okay, where do I need to go next? Because sometimes you might have to backtrack for something uh, in there as well. So, in I, I in the uh, distant future chapter, um, speaking of random encounters, there's like no combat at all, except for like one in for one force encounter. But then there's like a computer game you can play within the game that has like nine battles in it. And as as far as I'm aware, child, correct me if I'm wrong. It's just extra. It's just for fun. Yeah. Which it, it sounds silly to say like, how dare this be just for fun? But it just it just feels like games aren't designed like that. Not, nowadays, if there was a mini game inside of an RPG that had like a set of levels to go through, it would give you something at the end because it's like, was it worth it? I gotta you know respect the player's time. Where here, it's I kind of I kind of appreciate and enjoy that it's like, yeah, there's a mini game you can go through some. Uh, some combat encounters and in the in a video game in the game uh, it's just for fun you know just, just enjoy it if you want or skip it if you don't want to do it and i, I just kind of appreciate that like ah just just here to have it why not it's just flavor um and it does pl it does play into the story a little bit but the fact that they don't feel like they have to like have a carrot dangling for you specifically i i enjoy and i think that's something that if this game was made now it would give you something uh, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to follow up, like uh, like previously, also like uh, like besides like that quality of life of the radar, like that. I just found it, I just still find it really weird that you cannot like speed up like attack animations in battles. I feel uh, that's like an oversight. I think you know that's why I feel. Yeah, like like it's kind of because you you see a lot of games like you know when it comes to like remastering or, or remaking, like there's usually usually some sort of like speed up feature of like like hey you you can like hold the button to like make this animation go faster or press like a or to like skip an animation battle because like when, when you initiate an attack it doesn't take a lot it takes maybe like maybe three to five seconds at most to like execute an attack but that's like for every time you do an attack it does like a that animation with no way to speed it up and like that's a really weird like design decision <laughs> for it 
I, I was going back to say, um, when you play the Yakuza games, Brian, I was going to say, like, when you go to the arcades and play those games, and if you win at them, do you get anything in the Yakuza games? I'm just using this if, as a comparison. Don't, don't they usually have those, like, completion points that the Yakuza games, like, score you if you get, like, uh, what is it? Yeah, there's usually, like, a, like, an in, like, maybe some sort of, like, in-game achievement system that, like, you might get, like, something out of it. Like, like you, you, they're still largely you play them for fun, but there is like a sort of mini incentive. That's pretty oh yeah, they're, li- they're literally called. I googled it just now. They're literally called completion points, and yeah. usually in all the Yakuza games, they're literally just like eat all the food at every restaurant, get the high score at every mini game, uh, do all the combos. Like they're basically like how the game tracks your percentage completion, uh, and usually it's um, you don't. Well, maybe you might get some in game like healing items or weapons like bats or whatever but i think it's typically just for completion points yeah if if, if live alive was um if live alive was a xbox or, or on xbox or playstation consoles i'm guessing there'd be an achievement for you completed the captain whatever captain square yeah what was it called yeah it's captain square yeah yeah you completed the captain square mini game here's a here's an achievement hooray <laughs> Well, oh. I beat it. The credit does say uh, PC version staff, so it's oh, okay. there. Well, yeah, maybe we'll see see it there eventually. James, you know, you've been going through Live Alive as well. This new remake, what do you think of it? Uh, so I've only played two of the uh, scenarios so far. I did the prehistoric one and the Imperial China one. Um, not much else to say that hasn't already been said. I think Five Alive's biggest strength is how much it can make each of those different chapters feel unique, even if they're all obviously in the same game and have similar gameplay. Just the fact that like the Imperial China thing, it's like your main character doesn't level up and the whole thing is kind of revolving around training up that disciple. And there's no real like option for which one you go with it's just like whichever one you train the most is going to be the one that you end up with it's very interesting stuff and then all the stuff with the prehistory not not the biggest fan of how that chapter feels because like no dialogue but i can understand what they were going for and it's definitely interesting for that aspect prehistory is the one with the random encounters too yeah, uh, no, it's not random encounters because uh, uh, you have to uh, sniff out enemies and then you can see the uh, tracks for the enemies. And if you walk into them, then you'll engage a battle. I, so I like, think, but yeah, but I think also like uh, if you just randomly wander around, like it's not it's not frequent, but there you still get into random encounters without sniffing. Like uh, I've also tried that on. I didn't. <laughs> you yeah. can get the random encounters. Uh, it's because you ran into where the monsters are located by accident. That's what yeah. triggers the battle. But if you sniff them, you can see it. That's how it goes. But even between those three scenarios that we talked about, uh, I don't think we specifically said this, but the one that's Twilight of Vito Japan, that's the one where all the encounters are characters on screen. Uh, and then in Distant Future, all the battles outside of like the one required battle are in the video game. And then you're telling me how prehistoric does the fact that they work just differently like that. And then in the Imperial China chapter, the fact that your character doesn't level up like you're, you're you are overpowered as in that one. Just the fact that they can like twist the expectations in each chapter in addition to the setting and the characters is quite is kind of fun. And uh, I've only played the two, but also there's a little bit of UI shifts like when you go to the distant future chapter, people can speak to you on a communicator. 
which gives you like this UI text box instead of being a dialogue bubble, it's like digitized um, text floating uh, above your head, like as if the communicator is speaking to you. So I almost yeah. feel like they could have gone a step further to have like the UI shifts more from scenario to scenario, but they do it at least in that small way for the one scenario with the distant future, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, given now that you measure, like when it comes to UI and HUD, like the the HUD is like when you go to like the menus and like uh, go switch settings and and uh, not like it's weird because it gives me like that uh, that same feeling of like you know how those like how the Capcom game collections are when you like they have a selection of games you can go switch between game and game. It kind of feels like that HUD that they use for this game like is reminiscent of like like that shell HUD like that encompasses like different games in a collection. Uh, it's like because it's very like sterilized, like even like the way you uh, navigate like inventory, the items, the equipment, like that that style of HUD, like that's the consistent thing in between each chapter of like you 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 always know how to like navigate that because that that never changes, like you know exactly. Sterile is a good way to for it. I was gonna use the word clean, like but I, that it almost like has too too positive connotation. It's. It feels it feels like a wrapper, like almost yeah. almost like a, a template HUD that you could design any game underneath, and then like change the color or the or the shaders or something to fit it. But they didn't go that far. Yeah, and that's okay. Like uh, the, that. You yeah, know, it's uh, fine. It's first, just interesting. First and foremost, like it's just it's easy to navigate, and you know where everything is, and that's what it should do. First and foremost, so. But it it, it is funny. Like I, I do like that. Like the the one thing that like that makes it like kind of neat is it'll take the state of the character and like reflect it on like when you pull out the menu like when you put out the menu like for the twilight of Edo japan chapter when you're wandering around it's just like oboromaru like it is uh standing pose and like sometimes using like like that that uh move where he uh stealths himself and then like if you're like if you're in the attic and you put up the menu it'll have him like like and prone in the attic in that menu when you pull it up it's like it does like take the state of that character into account when you pull it up just interesting but other than that, like it, it, it is a damn beautiful remake. Like it is like the, the those pixels are are really really crisp. Uh, <laughs> those pixels are really really crisp. Yes, they are really. Yeah, crisp. I mean the, we've talked. The enemy talk designs to... are great. And it's and and like taking to like the size of the enemy into account, especially for a big encounter. Like they're huge. I yeah, love and, what they do with the bosses in this one. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like way too big. They are, they yeah, they are. They're comically big, like how Octopath did it. They're just like picking up like a third of the screen with their sprite. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny. It's goofy. And we've talked both in uh, for Triangle Strategy and Octopath about how we don't care for like the post processing, like some of the some of the some of the modern graphical techniques meshed with the emulated 16-bit style is kind of jarring. Uh, I think it's slightly better here. And there, there are a few places where I think it a is actually used really effectively. There is one point in the distant future chapter where a character is firing a uh, a, a gun towards the, the perspective of the player, like towards the camera. And it uses like the some sort of like effect for the muzzle flash. And I'm like, that actually, like, it's, it's such a small moment. It goes and passes in, like, two seconds. But it actually, like, I thought it worked really well there. So there's specific instances where I think the game looks really nice. Um, the uh, the combat encounters, the final boss of the Edo Japan chapter, it's just, like, a really neat design, really cool yeah, art like, there. Like the, the, uh, the, the way that it, like, just shapes up the lightning and how the how the, li the, the lighting of the lightning, like, reflects, mm -hmm. reflects the buildings. It's really, really, uh, really cool modern technique stuff. 
It's, it's also really cool, like when it like uh, messes like a foreground and foreground and background, like in the twilight of Edo Japan chapter, when you're like traveling around the perimeter through the on the buildings, and you're constantly mm-hmm. go, moving toward the camera and then back to the camera. Like back then, it was just like an an overhead view. It never like messed with perspective like that. So that that was a really interesting like shift of perspective they 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 embraced in this remake as well. I was gonna say, did you guys try the bad ending in in the Twilight of Edo Japan? I or didn't. You, uh, you I, just I, I, deserted your mission, and everyone's trying I, to kill you. That's that's good. I I totally forgot that you can do that. It's like yeah, you could just leave, and it's like well, that's a consequence for it leaving. Yeah. Like does it does it allow you to wrap up the chapter, or does it make you reload? Well, you have to do it. It's, it's technically an ending, but it's a bad ending. It doesn't count as oh, a clear. It's a game over. Yeah, it doesn't count as a clear, but it is an ending. Oh, I guess yeah, I will then, say th- there were a couple times in that chapter where I did just fail. I died, and it is interesting that there is a small cutscene if you fail that actually mm-hmm. is like I don't know. The, it could have easily just been like game over, reload, but they actually go show you a f- few lines of dialogue saying like you failed. He failed his mission, and then it goes game over. Like, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's not not a lot of games do that. Yeah, not anymore. Just. It it is in many ways a game of its time, and and it's like some of the mechanics that it has. But in other ways, it is, it is still one of the most like unique packages a video game has seen of its kind. Really, it's it's still one of those things. It's like I can't, I still I still can't. There are there are games that have like aspects of it in them for sure, but as an overall package, like there are, there aren't many games that are like I can think of. It's like oh, that's like live alive. Like sure. Like Octopath is surely inspired by it, but still not quite like Live Alive. I think the good thing about Live Alive over Octopath is it separates the character. If the characters are not going to yeah, the type interact, really you mm-hmm. know, it's like might as well just separate them. You know, yeah. I yeah. will say though that don't don't spoil me on this. I don't really know, but I know that there is like a final scenario, and I don't really know how it works. Obviously, you cl- you clear the different chapters and like on your little save menu on this sterile UI that we talked about, there's like a little badge that fills in. So obviously, like I'm anticipating in my head from like modern design, it's like, oh, you're going to do all eight and then they're all going to converge in one thing. But I don't really know how or why it will converge. Like, I don't really know what the overarching connective tissue is yet. And part of me is thinking like, well, maybe the characters will all be ported into like a combo realm but i don't know if that would make sense because like my character from the Edo japan chapter is level 14 and got a lot of gear and then i never bothered i never could gear the character from the distant future chapter because his chapter works so differently so i really i just don't know like what's going to happen in terms of when once you complete all the individual stories what does the game do from there so that i'm actually kind of eager to say like I don't know, because what what would they do if the game was made re- uh, in modern times? Or what would they have done for the original game back in 94? I have no idea. So I'm interested in seeing how that actually plays out. And even though it is kind of like a footnote of the game, maybe not a footnote, but it doesn't seem like it's a selling point of the game. It's not something I hear people talk about a lot. But I actually do think that the combat system is pretty neat and distinct, despite being rather simple. The fact that you have like an action gauge that slowly fills up every character on the battle every time you move a tile. So you have kind of like this trade-off for like positioning your character and then attacking. Uh, or if you can move out of a tile where you know what a character's like, if, if their ability, if an enemy on screen has an ability that shoots in a straight line, you can kind of get out of the line of fire and force them to like reposition themselves and restart their charge bar. 
Uh, it's actually, I've enjoyed it a lot, of course, mostly in the Edo Japan chapter, because that, that one is the one that's had a significant higher amount of combat for me so far. But uh, I... That doesn't have to be combat. You chose the kill route. You could have gone that castle without killing anybody. That's what I did. That sounds like a lot of saving and reloading. I don't know. I was just like, it's actually mm. way easier than the kill route. Yeah, that's oh. how I did it. <laughs> oh, I, I, remember uh, doing, I, do, I remember doing the kill route in the original on like that took 10 million years. But it's okay. The both, both, I was, uh, I was both. just like, stealth games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, both ways are perfectly fine to get a clear. And a... I will say, though, that, uh, well, hmm. There's the the Edo Japan chapter has some optional bosses, and I was surprised at how they were implemented into the game. I don't think I want to spoil it more than that. They feel they almost feel like really tacked on, uh, and there's a way you can deal with both of them really quite easily that feels like kind of cheap rather than having to have a good strategy. So it's just kind of uh, it was interesting. I don't think Brian used the strategy I did, which didn't work out too well. I, I tried using that strategy uh, involving like positioning with the uh, with the action bar. Uh, almost like the ATP bar. I don't know if it was called in game, but I had the I had the ally with me, the prisoner, and he kind of it's it's a, I think the strategy is, is difficult to pull off when you have to manage the two char- characters, and then you can kind of influence a little bit what the enemy, which one the enemy will target based on which one's closer, but not quite. But I don't know. Yeah. I really enjoyed the yeah. the two chapters that I've played have been really distinct from each other, and based on what you've said of the other chapters, it's interesting because there's like the Wild West and the near future. I have no idea how those play. So I'm interested. Uh, I've I've gleaned of what the prehistory plays like and what the Imperial China plays like based on this discussion. But then there's still four others that we haven't even brought up. So I'm, I'm really interested to see all the way they're uh, adjusting. I'm really looking forward to to Wild West because that like when when early footage of this game came out and they saw and we saw like an early like look at like how the Wild West would look in this remake it is it looks so much better than the original. It's crazy. I was gonna say the Wild West chapter was insanely difficult in the Super Nintendo version, but now I have to say that the chapter is super easy. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how well if how that looks in the remake and how that if I remember yeah. right, when the remake was announced, one of the very first things they shown was the Wild West chapter. So for some reason yeah. that that art with that character is kind of like I just I associate that with this game now, even though I haven't played that chapter yet, because that's when I if you asked me like a year ago, well, I forget when this game was originally announced, not that long ago. If you asked me before the remake was announced what Live Alive looked like, like paint a picture in my head, I'd be like, oh, like Final Fantasy Four, maybe kind of, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so now with the remake, like I just associate Live Alive with Wild West now. So maybe I'll do that chapter next uh, once I finish uh, whichever one I'm in the middle of now. I think just, I have just... a save in the China chapter because I played it in the demo. Okay. So I'll finish that up and then do uh, and then do Wild West. Yeah, I was going to say, the Wild West chapter is super easy now because of uh, quality of life improvements to the Switch version. Mm-hmm. In the Super Nintendo version, these quality of life didn't exist. That's why it was hard. It just reminds you of, like, like man, we don't really see turn-based RPGs set in the Wild West at all anymore these days. Like, can you, th- like, name me, like, two that come to mind of an RPG, turn-based RPG set in the Wild West. It's a game that uh, Adam I know played recently on his PS5, I think. Uh, Wild Arms. Does that take place in the Wild West? Wild Arms 3, yeah. yeah Wild Arms 3 does. <laughs> and oh, the other one gets into, you know, futuristic mumbo, sci-fi mumbo jumbo. Yeah. It's, it's like how most Star Ocean games take place on uh, whatever that fell pool. Rural planet. Yeah. Planet is. Yeah, that's live. Alive. 
we, we well, talked there's about more scenarios. Uh, there's more scenarios we can talk about, but I feel like I want I don't want to spoil the experience for you guys. So probably the next week we can probably tell about the full picture of the whole entire game. Well, yeah, at this time I'll, next I'll week we'll be we'll be talking about Xenoblade. When is that a release? Yeah, Xenoblade comes out next Friday, like this upcoming Friday. Digimon Survive will be out as well. Uh, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be diving into Digimon Survive because I can talk about Xenoblade already. But, you know, yeah, lucky. and I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, <laughs> going to have to oh. struggle to play through Xenoblade and Digimon Survive in time for Soul Hackers Two. Um, Wait, when, when is Soul Hackers Two in August? Twenty sixth. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. we got time. Good thing well, Xenoblade no, Three is a small game. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> small game. Did you did you not survive it? It's like multiple playthroughs and different endings, small game. I feel bad because I don't want to be like live alive. Like this is your only this is your window. This is our window to talk oh, about it. This that, is our window I'm to just, play it. I'm just, I'm just glad that Live Alive is small. I'm glad that I can just Relatively, get it done yeah. with in time for Xenoblade and I don't feel like I have to rush myself. Yeah, you could be done in like probably probably at least have a three days to spare before xenoblade to come out i think yeah yeah so uh live alive i guess that's uh we heard about some of chow's comparisons from the original game to the remake i don't know if you had any more uh just enlightening thoughts about what the remake does and doesn't do for for this game whether it presents itself well or poorly in your eyes josh i think it's amazing like i think that just like comparing mm-hmm. it to the original it's like better like in almost every way um it's it's one of those games I, I hold fondly, but I think it's a it's a difficult game to like talk about because you just want people to like go into it knowing nothing. Um, and I I hope that uh, you know it does well enough to uh, encourage uh, Square Enix and maybe other creators to like kind of take risks on like experimental game design like this game again. Um, you know we see it a lot in the indie space for sure, but. Like I would like to see, like, a, like we were mentioning, like a turn-based RPG set in the Wild West, and like, what would a modern one of those look like, um, and what, what, what kind of like, what is the vision people have for like, uh, stuff like that, and and just like different ways of, uh, how in, integrating uh, your narrative plot into game design. Um, so like, for example, like say in the prehistory era, they didn't, uh, they didn't have like uh, ways to communicate each other verbally. But they, you know, these have like like primal instincts of a human. Like, you know, we still we still need to like fart, for example. That's something that like every every human being has to do. So like in the, like a, one of your battle moves in the in the game is like, hey, show your back to the enemy and fart on them. You know, it's like <laughs> Elliot. Yeah. Ex- I was not expecting this. Yeah, uh, and that that's like that's something really cool. It's like hell yeah, that like more games should do this. You know, <laughs> because it's it's so goofy and funny and delightful, and it's like it it. it if there's something so so simple and effective about that, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course they would do that. It does it does Live Alive, despite having kind of a a more high high level like narrative, at least so far for the two I've played, it does have a pretty nice sense of humor that's uh that I appreciate in terms of like the character in the um distant future chapter, his default name is Cube, but he's like a robot that's very round. Just and the game kind of makes it apparent that that's aha ironic. Get it? Like it's in your face. But I just appreciate that. And the game doesn't it, does, it doesn't feel like it has to be like subtle or it has to be like it, it, it's not afraid of being silly. I guess is which is kind yeah. of like I feel like a lot of RPGs nowadays have to be like no we take our we take our video games seriously 
we want you know where this is art and there's like ah, mm-hmm. just it's a it's a game we're having some fun and then it, and it still allows itself like at the end of the distant future chapter it does flex a little bit more into like the poignant sort of thoughtful narrative about how people interact with each other and so the fact that it manages to kind of pretty deftly do both things from a game that was written in 94 is i think pretty remarkable yeah i was going to ask you brian do you remember the password or did you need the flashback to help you uh the pass the password or the uh the when the guy asks what your original name was yes did you need the uh, flashback to help you, or did you actually I, ask I, me correctly? I, I, I thought I remembered, but I needed the flashback, and I used the flashback to confirm that I remembered. And the flashback does not exist in the Super Nintendo version. You cannot use a flashback. If you forget oh. it, you had to you had to start the whole scenario and watch the intro to, to remember that. That password. quality of life. <laughs> That's so funny that they added a flashback for that. That, okay. that is kind of cool, though, how it's like, hey, no, you have to remember that. I mean, I understand why they made the quality of life change, but it's like, man, that's kind of that's kind of cool that they expected the player or had enough faith in the player to remember that. I mean, even if you didn't have a flashback, you'd have an autosave. I'm assuming the autosave is well. Duh. The autosave doesn't exist in Super Nintendo. Version. Right. If you answer it wrong, you're dead. So. Autosave on Super Nintendo what is this. <laughs> it's like what what era is this, guys? <laughs> Yeah, just to think about like this ad. This ad skill descriptions and like they didn't have that in this NES oh. version either. Oh, that reminds me, uh, another very simple thing. Um, so I was doing the, uh, I was doing the Captain Square or whatever it is, um, uh, mini game, and yeah, I looked up uh, what it because I, I wanted to look up like what it was. You have to do this. I did look it up, and there's there's like people who wrote about it from the uh, SNES version, and I guess in the original game. The enemies, when you show up on screen, they'll have their name show up, but then disappear, and you can't check what the enemy title is again. And there's one battle. I'm I'm gleaning based on the way the battle was described. There's one battle in the in the game in the distant future chapter. You're fighting a bunch of star enemies. Only one of them has a different name. That is the one you have to target. In this version, it's just oh, just hover your cursor over the name, find it, and attack it. But like, it seems like in the original version, it was like a memory sort of thing. Like, do you remember which one you had to attack? Because its name showed up for a flash and then disappeared. I don't know, but it might be one of those things where it's like an expectation nowadays that you can see what the enemy's name and health is in in the middle of a battle that might have not been there before, which kind of like undermines a few of the little tricky things that it was trying to do specifically in that chapter. Like, I, even, I don't remember this. Uh, Chow, you probably remember. Like, you don't even see, like, how close the, 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 uh, the action gauges for an enemy until they, like, can attack again, right? Or can... It was invisible. Action. But yeah, the thing invisible. is, in the Super Nintendo version, was all the enemies shared the same ATB gauge. So if there's like multiple okay. enemies, they share a turn. So that's kind of like the difference here. But now everyone, you could see everyone's gauge. So it's a little different. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. a way to describe it, it's like Final Fantasy Four. You know how the there is an ATB gauge. You don't know where it is. It's invisible. But as they re-release the game, you could see the ATB gauge now, right? Yeah. That's how, that's I'm, how I'm, I'm feeling kind of sheepish. And I'm like, you couldn't always see it because I've only ever played the GBA version or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, not in the originals. It's like, oh, maybe we're just too boomer, man. Well, we say it's too hard back in those days, but. <laughs> yeah, now people get out like, it was all hard for you, how it was so easy for me today. I'm like, all right, okay. It's like hey, the Elden Ring meme. Do you know that one with the. Um, 
with a UI where they added all this shit to it, and how and you play the actual Elden Ring, there was nothing. You know, it's like the same kind of concept. I would say you're just this is just, this conversation is reminding of like how much white hair I have. I saw I I looked at myself in the mirror yesterday. I'm like, man, I have so much white hair now. Oh, old dude dries up. <laughs> yeah. Finally, our week. <laughs> old people rise up. Well, we will uh, follow up with Live Alive as time permits in the upcoming weeks. Uh, well, it'd be cool to kind of reconvene at some point uh, down the road when we have people who have played uh, more of the scenarios and maybe go a little bit more into spoiler-like territory. But we all also, as we have alluded to, know that the our schedules are going to get busy as Xenoblade, Digimon, uh, Soul Hackers, and all those other games start releasing. Uh, at the very least, we'll revisit back in the end of the year where we will have the enviable task of discussing where we slot this game amongst the end of the year stuff. Is it a new game? Is it a remaster? First original localization? We're not going to make that decision here, but it's something we will have to. We're kicking that can down the road. We'll have to make that decision at some point, depending on how we feel about it, uh, you know, collectively, whether we think it's worth ranking or not. So stay tuned on that front. So there are a few other games or other or, or demos that released this week. I haven't played anything else other than Live Alive. Uh, I guess I, I did finish, uh, didn't finish. I mentioned last week on the podcast that I was playing through Sunbreak. I did finish the uh, the main scenario and I went into a little bit into the end game, enough to get a taste of it and be able to put it down. Maybe I'll follow up uh, as if they release more live content for it. Um, we have a couple things also listed here that other people have played. Uh, the first thing listed here is uh, Josh has touched on the SD Gundam Battle Alliance demo. Now, Josh, help me out here. Um, I know last week we talked about SD Gundam G Generation something. That's Eternal. not this game. Eternal. Yeah, this is a different SD Gundam. This SD Gundam is an action RPG for home consoles. Or PlayStation consoles, Xbox and Switch, and also PC. Um, Bandai Namco announced uh, this week that, like you know, they had to release some new uh, footage and trailers uh, and whatnot for the game. And they announced that a demo was coming. Uh, it released on the Japanese and Southeast Asia digital stores for PlayStation and Nintendo. I don't know if they released one for Xbox, but um, it was only for consoles. And uh, n- n- none of the PC version, no, nothing on Steam for this demo. It'll have save data transfer progress. It lets you play through a good chunk of like the beginning of the game. Um, there was like some weird wires crossed because the the new trailer was in English, but it, it, that was for Southeast Asia, and then so that's why the the demo the demo they said the demo is going to come out on July twenty second, but that's only for Southeast Asian uh, storefronts, and then the for Western storefronts. The demo is going to come out like on the 28th or 29th. So when Xenoblade releases and Digimon survive. So um, I was like, well, you know, I I, I might as well uh, give this a shot. I have a you know, Japanese PSN and the demo itself uh, already has English options in it. Uh, like an English language is just like a universal you know, app that'll uh, read the settings of your console and what the local language settings are. So. Uh, it has fully just English support already, so I was like, "Let's go, let's give this a go, let's see how it plays." I've been really interested in this game, um, and, and the the game is uh, it's pretty you know straightforward. It is like an action game, linear levels. You defeat like you know a, a good chunk of enemies before like a boss enemy. Um, you have your standard controls of like not, not it's not quite like a Dynasty Warriors Musou game, or like a lot of like on screen enemies at once, like maybe five or six like at any given time. But like the the 
uh, action itself is like a lot more intimate. Like uh, like the grunt enemies are something you can't really ignore. Like in in the the Dicey Warriors game, so you have like your standard like melee uh, button, like a ranged attack, um, and two like sub weapons with you. Uh, the interesting thing about this game is like has like uh, sort of like light action elements, like from Devil May Cry, like has like a, like a light a launcher combo to launch enemies into the air. And then you can press like the jump button to like boost up to them and continue like an air juggle combo um, on them. And also like you have a, a a skill bar that like if it fills up, you can like use like your super attack on like your playable character. Uh, let's say like you you're using like a, a gun tank, so that gun tank's like super like unique attack, but it's all meters all filled up. It's like using its shoulder cannons to like fire off like three big shots at the enemy. Um, where this uh, where this game is like uh, how it distinguishes itself from other like action games is there's like roles to to characters in this game. So like say like the Gundam Barbados from Iron Blooded Orphans, that's like a melee class character uh, uh, as opposed to like a, a all rounder character like maybe the Gundam, uh, the original Gundam, and like the gun tank would be like a, a sharpshooter character. And when you're playing these. Uh, uh, characters and with their assigned roles, that each of the three roles, whether you're like an all rounder, an attacker, or sharpshooter, or like melee and a sharpshooter, like they have a class action uh, skill that's like uh, exclusive to their class. So, like if you're playing like the sharpshooter uh, gun tank uh, character, like the, the sharpshooter class uh, or role action that you can activate is like it'll reload all your weapons at once because everything has a cooldown and that'll take some time to uh refill before you can do them again like for the ranged attacks and your sub weapons so if you use the that that sharpshooter action on gun tank like it'll refill all of its uh weapons at once or if you're using an all-rounder character and use its uh roll action um it can like cancel its attack strings uh faster when you boost out of them so you can do like one two and then boost and then it'll and then it, it'll be much quicker to get into another attack string um when uh, so each each character type is assigned a specific class type it's not like yeah. you pick gun tank and then pick whether you're sharpshooter or all-rounder yeah it's like when you pick okay. gun tank it's, it's always a sharpshooter that's what it is all right it's not, it's, uh, just just the just to framework the game in my head for me is this yeah. a game where so I, I watched some gameplay footage uh, while you were talking about it, and mm -hmm. I can kind of see how you mean that it's sort of Devil May Cry ish, it's sort of uh, uh, Muzo ish, but like, is it like a series of of encounters that are linear that you just progress through in a, in a straightforward fashion, or is it more like arcade based? So it's not like arcade based. I mean, you do get you definitely get like loot at the end of like uh, stages. Like you'll get like parts that you get equipped to your characters, and when they level up, they can equip more parts. And obviously, like the difficulty level will get you more like better parts, like higher quality parts, because they have like certain like uh, like like stat effects on them. And like if you get a higher rarity part, like you know, it might have two of those effects or three of those effects on it also as you're leveling up you're also uh allocating stats to improve their their melee their boost meter their attack their melee attack and their ranged attack um you can spend those points on them and uh, but like it's not really arcade-ish and you do follow a story but like the story isn't your standard hey go through like the original gundam story hey get, get through zeta gundam's story hey go through gundam wing story it's a lot more 
interestingly interconnected. Like how the like the flow of the game works is at the very beginning, you're like going through the original Gundam uh, story scenario where normally Amuro would meet Ramba Ralph for the first time. For some reason, Amuro hasn't deployed in the Gundam for that battle. So you're going through it with your own like original character, um, like like a silent protagonist and like your squad of people. And then like in the middle of that battle, you Ramba Rao does ambush like the white base ship in it, but like in like mid like when it's about to like go down on you, like get the jump on you from an ambush, like a break event happens uh, where the Ramba Rao's goof is like replaced by the Gundam Barbados uh all of a sudden out of nowhere so like one of the very first battles you uh you fight is like the the gundam barbados and, and then you kind of have you go into this mystery like why are these break events happening what is why is time so weird what is like um the chronology is like very way off and so how this game is like presented to you is after that battle is over you're like part of like entering like this like I don't know how to describe it. it's like a virtual world or simulation called the G universe. So like some like third party admin bails you out. So like your player assisted character or your player character and like a character named you know is like pulled out of like that simulation. You you meet this character that you eventually come to call Sakura slash, and then you you basically have to like find out like from this like almost admin third party outsider perspective of like okay, what is going on? Okay, I'm going to boot you into, like, since Gundam Barbados is from the Iron-Blooded Orphans timeline, let's go investigate, like, that stage in that uh, timeline of events. So, like, the very next stage from that original Gundam stage is, like, an Iron-Blooded Orphans stage. And that that stage occurs at the very end of Season 1, where you have to go um, towards, like, a, a capital where a meeting is being held, because that's how the events worked. And then so as you're approaching that city, um, Leos from the Gundam Wing universe are the break event there. And then you're kind of put into like this daisy chain of like, why is this, why are these Gundam Wing enemies happening here? So after you complete that stage, you go to like a Gundam Wing stage to like find out like why the Epion showed up in the Iron-Blooded Orphan stage previously. So, and then eventually once you get, go through enough of like these chain of stages you'll eventually like, find the source of the anomaly anomaly you'll find Ramborel where he which which timeline he was in with his goof you defeat him then you go back to like the previous like the the first stage where like the original gundam was supposed to be at and then in that the that's what they call true missions where hey amuro's in his gundam he faces off with uh Ramborel, like how it's supposed to be and then that's how you kind of like complete one of these like story scenario beats and i assume that's going to be like that, that's how it's going to be in the game it's like you're basically hopping in between gundam timelines for each stage to find out why they're there so and do you of, uh do you think that this experience. game do you think this game would be better suited for someone who is very aware of the stories or maybe knows only half of them or only loosely remembers what happens in gundam wing i mean uh, you'll you don't like you won't have to like I don't know if it's like great for a newcomer. Like it's uh, like, uh, of course, a certain aspect of it's like, oh, cool, like cool, cool. These robots, like I can make a lot of these robots and play them because like certain stages drop blueprints, and then when they drop blueprints, uh, you get you get enough to like make a robot to be playable uh, in there. 
Like, I don't know if this is like a great, like, hey, I want to get into Gundam, let's play this SD Gundam Battle Alliance game, but it's going to be like fun for like people who like maybe watched or experienced like a certain amount of Gundam or maybe one or two things it's like, oh, I recognize this. That's cool that it's in there. And, and potentially like if they're, if they interface enough with like other Gundam series in there, or, like if their characters interact with another Gundam character, that might like push them to like, hey, I want to go uh, watch this or read this like Gundam uh, thing because like the the way that the the game portrayed them like seemed really cool, and I want to get to know more of that about them. I feel like that's the sort of the the allure of the game. I don't know if it's like a great like, hey, gu- first time Gundam person here. I'm just here for a good time, you know? Because you're like, okay, I guess things are happening. I don't know. Well, like I'm kind of in the place where I've seen three Gundam series, but then I, I recognize uh-huh. Barbados just from like Osmosis, but I've never watched Iron Blooded Orphans. So it seems like it can be kind of fun for someone that like me that's more in the middle that yeah. like, okay, like this would be a way to introduce me to the characters of Iron Blooded Orphans and in kind of in a non-canon fashion, but still be like, oh, okay, like that's that's who this is and this is how they interact with the other people, like both in and without their uh their specific series. Yeah, it's just like it's just like a just a, a simple fun Gundam like game. Mm-hmm. It feels like I I've I've had a lot of fun with the demo. It, it's mechanics are a lot more they're, they're, they're way more in depth than I thought because, like, this game even has, like, the Guilty Gear, like, burst system where if a, if an enemy is, like, putting you in a combo, you can spend some of your, like, your skill meter to, like, execute, like, a, a burst to, like, push them away. And also, you can activate that burst when you're not getting hit and it hits the character. Uh, if it hits an enemy during that, you'll get, like, like your guard meter is going to refill, your boost meter is going to refill. So, like, there's, like, so it kind of borrows elements from, like, the gold burst element in Guilty Gear as well. And then you can also use that a burst to like extend your combos. <laughs> so it's very interesting of like, hey, like you can have like just a simple fun time in this, but there are, there is like there's like in, enough in depth mechanics to make like battles a lot more engaging. And because like on top of that, you also have like just guard mechanics, just uh, just dodges, um, and count and perfectly timed counters against boss fights that'll may- put them in a a state where you can like combo them if you uh, if you uh, guarded at the right time against the incoming attack. So I was like, that's that's really <laughs> that's that's very uh, unusual and unexpected, but I welcome it, you know, because I And this I game is it. multiplayer, right? Yeah, it, it supports up to three players in uh in multiplayer online multiplayer. The demo does have that uh functionality uh for people who want to play with their friends in these first few stages. And you know you can uh set parameters on like what kind of rooms you want and um invite your friends in them. It's 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 been cool. Yeah, I I really really uh, looking forward to the final game and seeing like just how many playable characters uh, are there and how much content is in the game. Uh, Bandai Namco also announced uh you know the first set of DLC coming for uh, SD Gundam Battle Alliance that's part of the season pass. They're adding um, the Gundam Age FX and the Gundam Narrative C packs uh, in it as playable characters in its first C- uh, DLC drop along with like a few new crossover missions in there and they also uh and like and, and typical of them as well they also have announced like all like the super special editions like the the premium sound editions that has like music from like the the anime series in them like the opening and ending themes for several of the gundam uh animes uh in in that um they're, they're also including some of like the deep cuts from like previous uh gundam games like some of like the the gundam games on psp some of their tracks are in there as well. But um, if you don't, like, you know, if you still want to replace the music with your own and not be confined to that, the, the game does allow 
for a custom BGM from MP3 files that you have on console. I don't know for Switch, but I know it does allow that, like how the Super Robot Wars games did it on uh, PlayStation. And I, I assume the Xbox uh, version will have it as well, along with the PC version. So that's, you know, you, if you want to customize it your own way, the, the game allows for that. But yeah, yeah that's kind uh, of the, the, the yeah. soundtrack uh, splicing or whatever you want to call it. It feels like kind of like a relic of olden times. Like I remember like old MMOs yeah. would allow you to do that where you could change the battle, uh, the backing uh, tracks in certain areas with whatever custom MP3 that you just dropped into a folder. And I didn't know if it was like intended behavior or not. So it's kind of cool that they have something bespokely here just for uh, console players of a modern game, just be able to put in whatever soundtrack they want. I'm glad that they've embraced that because, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of the frustrating thing. It's like you've like, you know, for people who really like Gundam and really like the music of Gundam, like their openings, their endings, they're like, and then like their original soundtracks, like there's a lot of great stuff. They and like to see that, like, if they don't, if they're at the premium sound doesn't offer that or they just want to do it on their own, you know, it opens it up for that so you can like kind of relive moments that like is really that you're really fond of with accompanying music that you put in there. And that will also release in late August or around the same time as Soul Hackers. So it's always yeah. busy time of <laughs> busy time of year for the next month and so month and change. Uh, one thing that we did mention was releasing this week was the new DLC for Stranger of Paradise. Has anyone here uh, touched that yet, or are we going to have to yes, uh, table that one? It's, yes, it's not good. <laughs> oh, Wait, what really? happened? Uh, so <laughs> I'm just going to ask you, Josh. When okay. you saw, did you watch the trailer for the new DLC? Yeah. Uh, just just okay, so everyone, so, uh, just so everyone's clear, this is a uh, Stranger of Paradise. Is it Trial of the Iron King? Trial, Trial of the, the Dragon, Dragon King. King. I'm, I think I'm getting okay. confused with the uh, Dark Souls expansion. Trials of the Dragon King, which is the first DLC that released a couple days ago. Okay, so Josh, having seen the trailer for the DLC, what would you say you expected from the DLC? Um, I expect uh, some cool fights with Bahamut, uh, some really cool new classes to um, tinker with, and like. And I guess there's going to be like more better loot in it. So I assume because they're adding Bahamut difficulty. So I assume they'll have like a lot of cool, like new loot to like experiment with. Okay. So you are right about two or three. Well, you're right mostly. But what if I told you that in order to get access to the Bahamut fight and the Warrior of Light fight, you basically had to grind like existing levels on Bahamut difficulty from the get-go, and they are balanced around you having limit break your jobs in Chaos difficulty ever since the game came out. Also, you have to, like, grind up to, like, that, like, be able to, like, even access them. Well, no, 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 no. So, the first mission you unlock upon getting the DLC is a kind of mock battle against the Warrior of Light, where it's set to, like, item level like 200 or something like that sure you can do it from the get-go even if you haven't touched chaos mode and the trick is is that you can't die and it'll give you like a a group of like item level 200 equipment as soon as you finish it which is on paper enough for you to start challenging bahamut difficulty missions because they start at item level 200 the problem is is that they're balanced around not just the item level, but also very clearly the level for your jobs. And by default, your jobs max out at level 30, but you can limit break them up to level 99 if you do specific chaos difficulty modes. And I'm just going to 
come out and say it. I spent like two hours last night with a group of people, like two other people on Xbox Live, trying to do the first mission in the game on Bahamut difficulty at item level 200. All of us were item level 250. We kept getting one shot by the first boss in the first level. I just want to make sure I understand something correctly. Like you have to. So I, I kind of understand and appreciate that this is like a, a an unfairly hard, a maddening level difficulty for the game. But you have to do it in order to play the new content. Yes. OK, so that's that's where it's different from like Neo, where when Neo added DLC, you could still play it on Way of the Samurai. And yeah, those yeah, DLCs no. would add higher tiers, which you can then get to. But you could still access the stuff without going to new game plus 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 or whatever. Yeah. And for like the majority of the DLC, you're not even playing new content. You're just playing the new difficulty to get dragon treasures, which then lets you talk to Bahamut and eventually you'll get access to his fight. And then eventually the warrior of light fight there. Besides those two fights, there is no new content besides the difficulty, which is a modifier. Weren't there Mm. like four new main missions and nine new side missions or things like that no what i thought i thought they they, they well no no you do get specific bahamut difficulty side missions but they're not like story missions it's just i think the four story missions are they're also counting the fake out first fight before your flight which doesn't really even fucking count because you can't die and it's just basically scripted okay so and you're saying some, you're saying basically like the new content where they list like four new missions, nine new side missions, three new bosses. The vast majority of it is locked behind Bahamut level difficulty. Yes. OK, so yeah, that is not what I was expecting. I thought it was like, here's some new missions. Also, you can now access new game plus 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 or whatever. Yeah. I, yeah, I think they should have been they should have been more transparent about that. Like, hey, this is like for like super end game stuff. Like I, I assumed that wouldn't have gone well, though, in marketing, but I'll just I, be I, honest. Oh. This DLC should have been a title update. Hmm. That's, uh, that's a shame. I, it's, it's, it seems I, I, really yeah. cool. Yeah, because yeah, it's like, yes, I understand it's new content they had to develop, but I feel like the way this is going like over with pretty much everyone I know that's tried the DLC, this being attached to the season pass is more toxic than if they had just like removed it from the season pass and made it a free update. Now, no one got early access to this, really. So, like, there's no review. Like, this is fresh, hot off the hot out of the oven. There, no one got preview access to know how this game, how this expansion or yeah, DLC I, was form was know. formatted or anything. I don't know if Scott is planning on like playing through this DLC. I'll have to talk with him, but it's like if he's not, I, I guess I'll keep going at it and try to finish all the actual content and write something up. But it's like right now, it's like. I can't recommend this unless you're some somebody that really, really like loved going through chaos mode in the base game. And we're all about like just boosting your character's power up a bunch. All, all, I, all I did by the end was, was like I, I did like a, a chaos level like solo like that that ended pretty fast. So I can get a lot of like anima shards or what are crystals or for whatever for like leveling up uh, classes fast and getting them all to their initial level 30 uh cap but that was that was like my the, the last thing i remember doing in it like I, I didn't i didn't really go through like all the chaos uh levels to um to level them up and then like un- uncap the rest of the classes because i really didn't like the the chaos difficulty um 
uh, system of, like leveling up each and individual stages, like get better stuff out of them. And as that's yeah. really really grindy. As Josh has, I'm sorry, James has been describing this. I've been trying to see if there's any like formal reviews of this, and mostly are all when I try to search around, it's just basically people on the Reddit coming to the same realization James has previously and us has now. Like the new DLC is only available with Chaos and Bahamut difficulty, and someone's like the developer's decision to lock the Trial of the Dragon King DLC behind a new, even harder difficulty that they invented specifically for this DLC, where everything pretty much one shot you like it's frustrating and like oh like that's i don't know that's not how i would have envisioned as someone who hasn't played this yet but wants to get around to it like i just kind of i just kind of assumed like oh they're going to add a few chapters oh and then they're also for people who really love the game and want to give themselves a challenge they're also adding a difficulty mode i would not i would have expected it in parallel not in sequence not master bahamut mode before you get to access the new content i wonder if they're going to release a patch to like address uh like because it seems like the 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 talk around this DLC so far seems to be largely negative. I don't think anyone has really said, "Yeah, this is great." You know, <laughs> the, the people yeah. who actually played it. I, I wonder. I wonder if they're gonna like change something up soon. Yeah, I do know some people where um, even like some of my friends that are enjoying the DLC are being very specific when they talk about it and they're like, "Yeah, I loved this DLC, but most people are going to fucking hate it." <laughs> Yeah, that's a bummer. That that it sounded really cool, but man, that's that that is a be- very bad implementation of it. It seems like. Well, like I played that pretty much around the same time Adam did, and we both we had kind of different ways that we approached it. So when I played Neo Two, I kind of just played it through on the standard difficulty, but still played through all the DLC. But then Adam kind of was had a little bit more time on his hands and was able to tear up through the different difficulty levels and kind of showed me. I for, I think I I topped out at Divine Gear and he went to the next tier up and we were both able to enjoy the new DLC. But I played it on the standard difficulty and he kind of had ground grounded a little more and got his build like his his whatever the equivalent of his item level is higher and also played the new DLC and we could both enjoy it. But now it feels like if that had been formatted the same as this way, I would have been kind of boxed out until it's like. You want to play this stuff? You got to put in the time to grind up through divine difficulty, or in this case, Bahamut difficulty. It just seems like it's a, it kind of has an expectation for players of the base game who might have set the game down in March because that's when it came out, and then wanted to come back to it. Like, nope, you can't. Not unless you ground up whatever these uh, your item level up to two hundred or two fifty. Yeah, and it's like one of the things I do think is worth mentioning is that even the people that like got the platinum trophy. There's no guarantee that they would have been ready for this because like one of the trophies slash achievements for the game, I I think they've patched it by now. But at launch, there was a trophy for clearing every main story mission on Chaos difficulty. It was bugged where if you finished even one level on uh, Chaos difficulty, you got the trophy for doing all of them. Nice. (laughs) So, So the people that were just in it for the Platinum trophy... They probably didn't do every mission on chaos difficulty. They probably didn't go through that whole process. So even the people that were like achievement hunters and you would think would be more likely to be receptive to this type of DLC. They probably were ill prepared too. do you know how you get the new jobs uh, in this DLC? I have no clue because I've spent like six hours and all I have had to show for it is one mission that took me like three or four to clear with a with a group of people. All right, I did the new Prague uh, live streams for Stranger Paradise DLC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like people unironically on Twitter saying, 
and well, actually, this is the thing that gets me. Remember how before launch they said that they wanted there to be like post game content that required you to work in like a group, kind of like mm. raid. Mm. This is that content. It wasn't <laughs> in the base game. They just well, put it as the first DLC because it wasn't ready for launch. And like, yeah, playing it, through it makes sense. It's it, yeah. this is exactly what they were talking about. If this was like a, if this content was like in the game, like launch game, like I think I would have tried to like work up to it because like that was the, that was the thing that really hung me up at the uh, the the post game of the of the launch state of the game is like you know I could get through chaos difficulty and like grind up these levels for the stages and like max out like you know try to max out my jaws, but like it like to what end and like if I had like this sort of content, maybe hopefully would better implementation i probably would have been motivated enough to work up to it but now it's just like uh this this seems like a little too late for like what you're demanding me to do now because now now that that like new games are coming out as well um it's i don't know if i'll get around to it anytime soon maybe i'll just wait till everything all, all all the other content is out and think about getting back to it it just feels like the sensible thing to do would have been to Whatever the newest boss is of the DLC, have some sort of trophy or even an in-game reward, some sort of weapon or something. I haven't played the game uh, that rewards you for beating the newest geek part on Bahamut difficulty, but not lock it behind that. Just make the make that a goal that people who love the game and have lived it since March to strive to. I don't know. Yeah, interesting a, decision. It'll be, it'll be interesting the, to see how they respond to it. Yeah, I'm looking at the Stranger of Paradise subreddit and there's just this one like thread saying DLC is too hard and like literally everyone's just agreeing. It's like, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, that was, I, I wasn't expecting that. I, I have to wonder how internal playtests of this went and like what was like the feedback loop that they got from internal playtests. It's just one of those weird things of like, I don't know, like it's like, oh, we're decked out in like max gear. So we're, we're, we're going to balance it around this. It's like, what? Yeah, I'm just looking through that subreddit now, and pretty much everyone's agreeing. Yeah, this, this, like, even people that are like, I'm enjoying this, it's like, this shouldn't have been how the DLC was, like, made. Uh, this is quite a curveball. I wasn't expecting this. I thought we were trying to talk about it, uh, like, and, like, fl- flash by it, but nope. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about it, which is why I didn't put it on the sheet until, like, Basically, five just minutes before starting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's good that you brought it up. It's like I feel like this this kind of deserves a PSA for our audience that maybe didn't get swindled into purchasing it yet. Yeah, I, I still want to. I still want to play, but it's like, it's like, man. Uh, to be more positive about the game, I'm not sure if it's just the most recent update or if it's been like over the last couple of months, but. Technically, the game is in a much better spot now. The resolution's improved. The uh, frame rate is improved. There's still dips here and there, but it's nowhere near as bad as it was at launch. So if someone wanted to pick up the game, and I believe it's still on sale now on uh, PSN and Xbox, maybe Epic. I don't know about Epic. The game's good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's one of my favorite games this year. Uh, Don't pick up the DLC, but if... But if you're interested in playing the base game, I can definitely say now's the best time to. It's just uh, such a damn shame I, about I, that. I forgot DLC. this was a. I forgot this was Epic exclusive on PC. Well, I think with that, uh, 
unexpected addendum out of the way. I think that we have covered uh, what we wanted to talk about for games we've been playing this week. Obviously, next week, we'll be able to pick Adam and Josh's brains on their impressions of Xenoblade 3. Uh, Obviously, we've already talked about those in a preview context, but in a review context. Uh, And then whoever of us here get started as it will release like a day before we record our next podcast. So we'll have uh, that coming for next week. And maybe we'll have a chance to talk about Digimon if Josh squeezes it in or someone else uh, steps uh, onto the podcast to talk about it. We'll have to play it by ear. In terms of the news front, this week has actually been a little bit lighter. Before we go into the news itself, and we already talked about all the features up on RPG site regarding Live Alive, including Paige's review, and then Paige, Chow, and Alex have worked together putting up a big guide hub together for that game. It's all up on the site, and it's all interlinked together from the different scenarios, and it's really quite you know a lot of work and into into that and i've been having that up on a second monitor as i've been playing through the game but i don't want this to fall through the cracks we also did get a feature on the site from james for monster hunter rise just talking about uh specifically the sunbreak expansion talking about some of his impressions about the end game specifically that he would not or could not put into the actual review was this actually like an embargo limitation that kind of suggested that you that you fork this out into its own thing Yes, honestly, in retrospect, our reviews just talked about it anyways, and I doubt it would have been a problem if I just put my thoughts in the review. No, I, I mean, I, I, I respect that, like, hey, we're abiding by the, the, the yeah. guidelines and embargo that we were given, that, like, huh, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be trying to, like, oh, since other reviews did it, it should be, uh, it's okay if we do it. It's like, no, nah, it's just... Yeah, you're, you're right, it's just I'm saying, like, yeah. we probably would have been fine in retrospect. Yeah, so, so the context here is, is we've already kind of discussed this, I think, with a pretty good detail on this podcast, and that is about Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak's afflicted monsters at the endgame. Uh, and this is essentially putting into written form James's impressions of that mechanic, comparing it to other Monster Hunter games uh, up onto the site as its own standalone, basically, opinion piece. Uh, so, James, I think you've already had a, you've had a few opportunities on the podcast before to talk about it. I yeah, don't know if you want to just punctuate it here in any way or just kind of let the article speak for itself. The article can speak for itself. And if you're a regular podcast uh, podcast listener, you've already heard me talk about that system. Yeah, the, the, uh, the only the only new development out of this is like uh, less, than less than a day. Yeah, less than a day. Less than a day after you this? put that feature up, um, Capcom announced that you can use the afflicted monster materials to further upgrade, I think, armor. Uh, so, like, giving them, like, another purpose as well. So, it's just kind of, you know, it weird timing. But it doesn't, it doesn't like... It doesn't fix issue. my issues, but it yeah. does make it better. Because, like, one of my main, like, takeaways in the article, which I will kind of say, is that the afflicted monster system doesn't make as much sense when there's like rank 10 weapons that you can just make that don't require you to engage with the system. Like the furious regime weapons are some of the best in the game. The Malzina weapons are some of the best in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to grind out your master rank to get the materials to craft those, but you don't have to engage with the afflicted monsters at all. And even like the rank nine Malzino weapons are perfectly capable until you get to that point. So it's like, it doesn't feel like it, at least right now, before that new patch comes out, it didn't feel like there was a good enough reason to engage with the afflicted monsters. Yeah. But you know, it's, 
uh, you know, future content updates, uh, like kind of like the using them to upgrade armor. I'm sure Capcom is thinking about and getting feedback on like what 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 are better ways we can do this to like make the system you know a more engaging, enjoyable like end game content till the title updates come out. So I, I kind of already mentioned this in passing when I talked about games I've been playing. But yeah, I fought my first afflicted monster, and then I could kind of see what the treadmill looked like, and I didn't step away. Because like I didn't think I would enjoy that. It's just that I kind of already did it all in Monster Hunter World. Uh, maybe I'll wait for the title updates to come through to see if something interesting comes out. I'm like, all right, I, I, I kind of get a feeling for what this is. I can let it lie for now. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I that, uh, that, that article up on the site is called. Sorry, I just don't think I ever actually titled it. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreaks Endgame stumbles at the finish line. I can see what they were going for with it. Like I can, like I can understand the thought process to get there. I just think the execution doesn't. They didn't land uh, as well, but like I remember, I mentioned this to, to to James, and I was like, as I did more of these like uh, afflicted monsters solo, but like I, I sort of had this like moment because I did so many of them solo, like uh, first uh, I did such long like play sessions without be pre-release. I was like, I think I Stockholm syndrome myself into like liking them almost, and I don't know how or why. <laughs> it's hard to I can't even put it to words why at this point. I was like, huh. so I don't know. All right. We don't have a lot of headline news this week, but this one is kind of there's not a lot to talk about here, but it's interesting and exciting. And that is, is that we inadvertently got our first look at the technically formally announced. I think that's the best way to put it. Yakuza 8. Or if you're uh, using the English name uh, language uh, releases, the sequel to Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, If you've been following our site and our podcast, we did talk a lot last year about some of the restructuring over at RGG Studios at Sega, about how Nagoshi had stepped down from his role as studio head and being replaced by Yokoyama. Let me see. Yeah, Masayoshi Yokoyama. And during the time when they talked about their studio restructuring, they did mention in clear language that they were working on a follow-up to Yakuza Like a Dragon. Well, in the last week, a Japanese MMA fighter slash YouTuber named Mikuru Asakura was able to tour RGG Studios and kind of as part of his YouTube upload, we got basically some behind the scenes footage for the upcoming sequel to Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, the, the, the only things that are really of interest here is that we can kind of see some recurring, uh, recurring characters. We see Nanba is back. We see Adachi is back. We see that we have, uh, have a new hairstyle. Where he has his. Where's the afro? No. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Uh... I don't know how I feel about this. I yeah. So, yeah. So Ichiban has his hair like either you know combed down or pulled back or things like that. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see. Like uh, I'm poking through the YouTube footage now because I'm trying to remember. Like if I remember right, Namba and Adachi are still wearing their same clothes, which is like yeah. a police bomber vest and a hobo outfit. <laughs> Which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the afro's gone. Yeah, the afro's gone though. So, so. Uh, so has hair has a new back. Look. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like you barely see it. Like that. Some at some point, like some of the footage, like he has actually his hair tied back. So it's just like, I don't know, man. I I associate each like I really really like Ichiban's like afro stuff of like a dragon. It was one mm-hmm. of those things. Like, yeah, now this is a character design. Oh, um, and then the, re- the reason why Asakura was visiting the studio 
uh, is because his likeness is going to be into the game. And so like you see, you see him in the motion capture setup and get, getting all that because that's something that RGG Studios has done for several of their Yakuza titles. So he'll be incorporated into the game in some fashion. We don't know the specifics of that, but kind of cool to see that. Yes, Yakuza 8 is being worked on. Um, we don't have any other footage or formal announcement or press release. Just kind of an interesting behind the scenes. Uh, I kind of appreciate that where this is almost like how movie studios say like, yeah, this is a project we're currently working on. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, they don't have to be like, they, they decided at some point with the studio change up back last October, say like, yes, we're working on this. No, we don't have like a, a cut a footage for you or a vertical slice or anything. And you know, it's still a work in progress. And in this way, this isn't really an announcement of any sort, but like, yeah, you can kind of see they're still hard at work. So I have, I have uh, several questions. One, do you think Asakura like knew that was like, not supposed to be shared or like this like off-screen footage of uh the new yakuza and it was like it was like kind of like the the studio didn't want to be disrespectful because asakura is like very well respected like a big mma fighter like there's like just kind of let it slide mm-hmm. like how do you think this went down like do you, do you think they're like do you think rgg studios like well, knew that this is happening <laughs> yeah I, for some reason i have the feeling that they did and they're playing it fast and loose. Like they're not being uptight about it. They're like, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. So uh, Asakura has two and a half million subscribers on YouTube. This footage, it's a little 15 minute video of his little tour of Sega Sammy and RGG has one and a half million views. So this is like a big megaphone for them. Uh, it seems like, so I think yeah, that's it's very Dutch a lot too. Like it, it wasn't like uh, Asakura did it like later, like upload like a separate video with just a, uh, the new Yakuza game footage itself. It's like, it's still just in that nonchalant studio tour. Uh, yeah, like, the, like the, the premise of the footage is Asakura's tour, and then in the background, and then like him getting the mo- motion capture and all that of his likeness. And then it's just while Yakuza 8 is being developed, so you s- pick up some of the, the in-work progress being done in the background. So it's it's not an RGG Studios megaphone, it's Asakura's, uh, which is kind of interesting and fun. And I think it's unique and I kind of like it. And I'm glad that RGG Studios seemingly hasn't had any issue with it. They're just on board with it. And they're being, yeah, like you said, nonchalant about it. We should have held like a Twitter poll asking if people were okay with the Afro being gone. Do you want Afro? <laughs> Ichiban or Afroless Ichiban <laughs> should have been like the Whoop of the Namba uh, here. Uh, yeah, shout out to the one dude in our comments. I was like, I loved Like a Dragon. I'm upset that Namba is uh, returning. And then somebody replied to that just saying, I will gut you like a fish. And it went viral on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Namba's great. The whole cast Namba. is great. Yeah. Yakuza 7 is great. If you haven't played Like a Dragon, uh, you should play it. It's really good. Do you think the Afro will return in some way, shape, or form? In hmm, I could I could see them being like, okay, that's the dumbest thing popped in my head. Remember, have have you played DMC Devil May Cry? Yes. yes. That's the one scene where the mop falls on his head. <laughs> I'm guessing they'll do something like that where like he'll have one scene where his hair tie like is pulled out for a moment, or like he's like in a wind tunnel and like the hair will go afro for just a moment and then he'll tie it back immediately. I'm guessing there'll be some sort of like cheeky call. Oh, that'd, like yeah, that'd be cheeky. That'd be funny. <laughs> that's a that's a huh. very creative of you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, obviously no announcement here of release window, release date, premise, anything like that. But they're working on it. Will it be this year? Or will it be early next year? Not if it was this yeah, year. No way this, no this year. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. no way this is this year. That'd be crazy. But 
Man, our guy Ichiban, he's looking cleaned up though. He looks he like does. he's ready to be ready to be a part of society. That's crazy. Recently on the podcast, I think it was one of the weeks that I was gone, uh, from one of the Nintendo Direct announcements, I believe. It was the we got the release date for the upcoming Dragon Quest Treasures, which is releasing this year in December. Do I have that right, Adam? When was the uh, release again? date? When was the release date for Dragon Quest Treasures announced? I know it was announced in late June. No, it was, was, it, was Nintendo it? Direct. Yeah. It was a Nintendo Direct. Okay, I was just, just we just got basically details on like here are the characters, here are some of the monsters, and here's what you do. Yeah, so uh, I've been poking through this press release, but as you like look through this, was there anything here that you saw that you like thought was specifically worth highlighting for these uh, this press release information about the upcoming Dragon Quest Treasures? The only thing it's mostly just like gameplay details. The one thing that I kind of assumed, but didn't know for sure until now is they did change the English voice actors. I figured Eric's voice would be changed. You don't oftentimes get men voicing like young boys sometimes, Mm -hmm. but you know, usually you get women to voice those roles. Um, Mia, I wasn't sure about, you know, being female, but they actually changed both the voice actors for both Eric and Mia with in English. I mean, I don't know about Japanese, but in English, they're actually being voiced by like child actors, like 11, 12 year olds. So that's always, you know, that'll be interesting. (laughs) Hopefully they're given good direction. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't think we've yeah, heard it sound like yet. Yeah, yeah, we, we don't have any footage of them. We have a name for the like the spirit guide animals with them. Yeah, with Eric's spirit guide being Persula and Mia's spirit guide being Porcus. So that, those are fun names. I yeah, like one's it. a cat and one's a pig. So <laughs> the that pig works. looks like a piggy bank. <laughs> so. Uh, so- Go, remind yeah, remind me, this was this was originally announced as a Dragon Quest Monsters title, is that correct? Was it uh, Monsters or something I don't, else? No, it was like not really a formally announced. Just like years ago, I think it was like just not that long after Dragon Quest XI released, like late 2018 or early 2019. Um, they had they just showed like a concept art of Eric and Mia, and saying that they were working on a new Dragon Quest. Um, oh, I found it! Game. I found it! Uh, yeah, yeah. Tw- 2018 from uh, Adam on. In November 6, 2018, new Dragon Quest yeah. monsters in development. So yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't really announced. It was more like teased. But then it kind of went silent for you know years and wondering like what happened to it. And then it basically reemerged uh, late la- or at that Dragon Quest 36, 35th event last year as this. So yeah. it seems to have like some similarities to a monsters game, but kind of its own thing. Well, yeah, Let's like see. in this press release, they talk about how. Um, you basically go to numerous islands and you can interact with the different monsters there using the dragon daggers. So basically, I was just wondering, like, is this how normal Dragon Quest monsters games work? Or is this something that's kind of unique to this one? Because they didn't they decided not to put this in the existing subseries, but can call it its own separate spinoff. Has anyone here played a Dragon Quest monsters game? I haven't. I have several of them. I don't know. I don't know, like, what system they were on, because like I just kind of like pick up Dragon Quest monsters games and like play them. Um, like if I think, what what was the one with Joker in the title? I Dragon Quest Monsters in. Joker. There's a couple. I haven't played any. Yeah, they're fun. They're they're fun little games. I, I enjoy I enjoyed them. Yeah, but the monster for people who haven't played any of those spinoffs, they, uh, this inf- the information from the screenshots here basically show that that is a key component of this. It shows Mia being carried by a bat, um, Eric standing on an ogre, using your monster special skills to search for treasure and fight side by side with a team of monsters. And it shows uh, the battle system where Eric's fighting alongside uh, some slimes and things like that. So very much getting that kind of monster raising aspect here in some respect. So this will be uh, this is December 9th, as the Nintendo Direct announced. So won't be in the cutoff for games this year. It'll be for next year, at least for our site's coverage. 
Uh, but I like Dragon Quest XI, and I think this game looks really kind of fun and cute and different. So making sure it's still on my radar. And we got uh, Adam put up all the information and new screenshots up on the site. So uh, details for Dragon Quest Treasures. You can go ahead and poke through that at your leisure. It looks really cute and charming. I don't know if we'll get a lot of uh, interesting discussion out of this. We also did get two trailers in the upcoming, uh, in the last week. I guess three trailers. We did get the final trailer for Live Alive as well, but we kind of already discussed the games out, so we might as well discuss the game itself. Uh, we did get uh, a very long overview trailer for upcoming Xenoblade Chronicles 3. This thing is kind of, uh, it's a very long eight minute trailer that kind of has a lot of the information from the uh, Nintendo Direct that was specifically focused on this game, kind of spliced into trailer format. Obviously, you guys have already had the chance to discuss the game with your preview opportunity, and we're going to be discussing the game as a released entity next week. So I don't know if there's a whole lot to pull out of this overview trailer, but I guess if you haven't played a Xenoblade game, uh, it might be a good thing to, to poke through. Uh, I don't know if any of you have poked through this. Those of you have, who have played the preview version of the game can look through the trailer to know how spoilery, spoilery it might be. Whenever whenever a trailer gets to like eight minutes long, I start being like, how careful are it's, they? It's not, uh, most of the stuff shared uh, for the game has been uh, fairly early in the game. It's it's mostly, I didn't watch the full trailer. Like I just kind of clicked through it, but it seems like it was mostly what was in the... Um... Like Nintendo the previews and the Nintendo Direct, right? Yeah, well, like the 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 the, fun, the only uh, cool thing about it for us who already went through a lot of it is uh, like Noah's uh, English voice actor uh, narrates it, and the way he pronounces some stuff is funny in it, and that that got that got me to smile a little bit. But because I've I've heard I've heard him a lot already playing through the game, so mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean it's just like you know a refresher, like hey, if you if you really haven't really been paying attention to this game and like curious to see what it is uh it's a very cond- even though eight minutes is a lot it's a very condensed format of like the content in the game it is it has been it's big it has a lot of systems going on it's different from past titles and just a, a lot of cool stuff going on uh in that trailer and we also got a gameplay trailer for the upcoming uh trails from zero legend of heroes uh the crossbell the first of the two crossbell games which is releasing officially in english for the first time uh in september so I think this gameplay tra- in this podcast have already played this. <laughs> well, not Adam. Oh, really? Nope. Right? No. Nope. Uh, but but the but the gameplay he's played Trails in the Sky whole trilogy. There's a, there's a couple kind of differences with the way the courts works. It's more like uh, um, the Cold Steel games. But yeah, if you've played if you played any Trails game. Or I, I won't say any Trails game. If you've played any Trails in the Sky trilogy game, this the gameplay trailer here should look really familiar. And even if you're working backwards and you've played like Cold Steel and you're interested in this to play it in that order, you'll still see kind of like where a lot of those ideas came from. Uh, so I don't think anything is really too surprising here. I just feel it feels nice seeing like the kind of the old HUD for the Trails games again. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, that's what it used to look like. Game is not it has Japanese audio and English localization for the menu and stuff. So all the battle yells are there's no voice acting. Uh, but all the battle yells are in Japanese, and I guess there was acting they added from other versions. Japanese. Oh, I, uh, yeah. I guess I need to look at um, PH3s because because PH3 had that. We talked about this on the podcast. Like, think I think the week before I took my break, how they have to incorporate how they're incorporating uh, aspects from the uh, from the fan translation release from the from the Kai release, from the original release, from the PC release, the Joyo Land ones. And I don't quite remember exactly what they're all pulling in from all the different things. 
but it doesn't have English voice acting in any respect. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think these releases, the Crossbell, like local official localizations, uh, like they're only going to have Japanese voices for them, not English, from what I understand. Right. Yeah. I don't want to redub the game. Trying to it was yeah. release yeah. window even longer, probably. Yeah, it'll yeah it'll push back uh, them back even further, and I can't imagine like their sales expectations are like high for these uh, releases. So uh, like, what? what it's a market for it. Uh, I'm just gonna say, when do you think uh, Kuro is gonna come out in the West? Uh, 2024. Yeah, because yeah, so 2024 20, at the earliest because like, 2022 Hachimari is zero, is yeah. and then yeah. early 2023 is uh, Azure, and then late 2023 is Reverie. So yeah, it's 2024. Yeah. The question is, would it be early 2024 or would it be uh, late 2024? That's the thing. And I'm pretty sure Kuro 2 won't be until uh, 2025. It's it's fucked up. Yeah, we've talked. We've, we've beaten this horse. So moving on. <laughs> You're, you asked. <laughs> I'll ask. I did. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's right. Good job, Chow. I had to know. All the remaining news on the podcast this week is just some release date changes. Nothing major here. Just a couple little things. Uh, we have an indie game, The Tarnishing of Justia, is launching on July 26th. This is a Souls-like that I always look at the name of it, and I'm wondering if they came up with the name The Tarnishing before or after that uh, became kind of a key component of Elden Ring. <laughs> I, I assume it's just coincidental. Uh, so this is a, a game releasing on Steam next week. Uh, you know, maybe slot it for later because next week's a busy week already. But that game will be out if you're interested in that on PC. Another kind of Souls-like game, Thymesia, is being delayed again just slightly. It was originally going to be late last year, then it got pushed back to this year. It's being pushed back slightly again to August 18th. Still a busy time of year, so kind of two Souls-like indie games that are releasing in late July and mid-August. A game that was just announced, uh, I believe, earlier this year. This is Circus Electrique. Adam originally covered this game when it was announced, and Adam or Josh just covered this new uh, release date announcement just this week. It'll be releasing in early September. This is from a a pinball studio. What is this? Zen Studios, the the mm -hmm. makers of the Zen pinball games. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of a. But they also made um operas. What was the name of the game? Operancy of the Sun or something like that. Oh, they did do that. I recognize that game. Wasn't that a dungeon crawler? Operancia? Yeah, Adam, you you played through that, right? Yeah, Operancia was pretty good. Yeah, it's a dungeon crawler, right? Like kind of a yeah, Odyssey. Yep. Yes. yep, first person and all that. Yeah, so this Circus Electric kind of has an interesting kind of like steampunky. Uh, marionette vibe again only i don't really know what sort of game this is it's victorian era so it's like a lot of like mannequins and things like that almost kind of like yeah, five the, guys at freddy's like the battle ui uh very much reminds you of like darkest dungeon of like your your row of characters facing the other uh row of enemies and like how you interact with them you can like before you attack you can see like your accuracy like the damage range and like oh. quick chance i was feeling kind of self-conscious that i described that so poorly but then I'm looking at the way you described it. 
This game contains 15 playable circus-themed archetypes with a steampunk touch in their Victorian-era attire. <laughs> so it's like, that is a that is a small needle to thread uh, exactly what sort of vibe this is going for. If you're interested in what the hell Circus Electrique looks like, uh, Josh put the announced date trailer up on the site. Uh, it'll be releasing in September. Uh, very unique and interesting-looking game. I have no idea what our plates will look like in September, but it's coming out on uh, on everything. So we'll be, maybe have a chance to revisit it then. And here's the game that I think we're a lot of us here are familiar with. I think everyone on this podcast has played this one. Uh, Yisei Lacrimosa of Dana will be releasing on PlayStation 5 in November. So November 15th and November 18th. Yeah, I it's still that. kind of wild. This is getting a PS5 version because isn't the PS4 version already 4K60 on PS5 because of like the PS4 Pro patch or something? Yeah, like the, the only thing that's different with this one and the only it's like it's all the dlc is bundled with it and that's it and and nice america is not shared and it probably won't be the case like i don't think people can like upgrade uh for, to it or like there'll be no free upgrade to they confirm there's no upgrade yeah oh yeah okay then there you go and and i guess like i don't know what you'd even like do you just be you just get it and it's like whatever dlc you have whatever whatever dlc you'd get if there was an upgrade like you're really not getting much if you already played this game I think the uh, one thing is, yeah, I think the one thing is, is that there are some like graphical updates, like to the shadows and whatnot, because it's based off the PC version. But it's like, mm-hmm. is it going to have an unlocked frame rate mode? Is it going to be up to 120 FPS? Because I mean, the PS5 supports that. I mean, it would be nice. Oh, yeah, the, 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 a, it would be have, a selling point. It does have VRR now too. Right. Well, what about that co-op thing that I heard about for the PC version? Uh, that included? was something that Durante did. Uh, they could technically do it on on like console if they wanted to but the thing is is that that wouldn't really be a good selling point because even like the co-op thing for ease 8 and east 9 is very clearly something that's hacked together and if you're using it you kind of you kind of go in with that like understanding that it's not it's, it's, it's kind of got this like homebrew like yeah. vibe around it yeah it's more it's more like a, a feature next experimental phases more so than like oh this is finalized mm-hmm. and optimized it's really like, cool, but it's definitely something where even Durante himself says, yeah, this is not meant to be like a, a super, super serious feature. It's just something that literally he came up with because he he could. And he was like, hey, can I release this? And they were like, yeah, sure. Don't tap. It is kind of fun. So uh, on our website, on the sidebar of any article, we list the consoles that any are, are, uh, any game appears on. And I just like over the years, we've seen you say like this list just grow. It's got Vita, PS4, PC, Switch, Mobile, Stadia, and now PS5. Stadia, yeah. remember Stadia? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Eastgate is one of those uh, games that like has had like a very storied history. The, the even though it's like a recent release in video games, because of just like on top of like just all the port announcements and re-releases it's gotten. Like it also had like the whole like initial localization debacle and they had to hire someone or a studio or another firm or whatever to mm. like uh, hey Josh, hey Josh. And, then, and then that didn't pan out so they rented the Durante's team and just... I, I feel so old right now because I was thinking about it, it's like that whole localization debacle is nearly five years old now. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm going yeah. through all of our news posts that include Yseit attached to it. And there's so many. We talked about Yseit, and not we. I just mean whoever was here back then. Yseit was featured in Tetracast episode 26 in February 2016. 
Oh my god. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, now, now now I feel old. It was also apparently talked about in 27, 28 and 29. Apparently they uh talked about it a lot back in uh back in the day. Uh, back in the day there was no GRPGs obviously. Um, I mean, East 8 was the only GRPG. I mean, East 8 is still Falcom's best game. Prove me wrong. But uh it is one of those one of their uh, best games for sure. But the best? That's uh that's subjective, guys. I, 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 I don't know I, I don't know if it's the best, but it is it is one of their best. It is one of their best. And just just to leave a little tease for those that haven't played like uh, the Japanese version or the fans translation, I would say that Trails from Zero is, if not one, of, if not the best, one of Falcom's best. So keep circle that on your calendar if you haven't played it yet. Really good, solid game. Yeah, I I saw that um, like info about like wishlisted stuff on Steam, and it's like Trails from Zero is not going to sell well on PC, isn't it? I hope it does well. I I really hope so, but I, I feel it's gonna get the live alive treatment, guys. It's like it's definitely good for its time, but I'm not sure if it could entice the Western audience. I think on PC it's less that and more most of the people on PC that wanted to play it have probably already played it through the DL DL site version with the uh, fan the GeoFront translation. <laughs> You know, child, the thing about Trails of Zero is uh, that so many games have been inspired from like aspects of it, but you know, Trails of Zero was an experimental game of its time. <laughs> I mean, it was a good Trails game for sure. No, it, 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 it is really good, and I'll, I'll give more fuller thoughts. Uh, who's who's going to be covering the official release for us? Scott. Anyone? Scott, yeah. Oh, Scott. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because like uh, both uh, Chow and I recused ourselves and... Uh... Yeah. I'm interested in playing the official release, but I literally am less than like a. I'm actually most interested in Nayuta. I want to review Nayuta. Give me well, something. I'm being not... a hipster as always. There you go. Yeah, I not... need to play my game Nayuta that I bought on uh, on Steam. Give me something that's not tied to you know a 15 game series like directly. It might be. Yeah, we don't, don't... know yet. <laughs> that's the thing. That person in the cover could be one of the character's grandpa. You know. Adam's like, please don't. <laughs> don't know yet. We we'll just wait for further games of the series to confirm that. Maybe we'll find out in Kuro 2. It, it looks like a lot of shit's going to happen in Kuro 2. Uh, it's like, who, who knows? Uh, Adam's going to be so pissed if the Yuta ever like ties back into like the, the main real canon. <laughs> <laughs> why why, would, why would Adam steaming. care? Adam, Adam, you've played all of the localized titles. You're not that far behind. Has he played four yet? I don't think he has. What? I just think I just think being shackled to canon makes the games worse in ways. There you go. It depends on how good the canon is, I suppose. I still have Cold Steel Four installed on my Steam account, just like mocking me, like playing well, me before. <laughs> don't need Cold Steel Four. We saw these references in earlier Cold Steel games. I'm sorry, you, you need Cold Steel. Once, <laughs> once, once Reverie has a release date, or if it, yeah, or yeah, I guess it has only a release year right now. Once it has like. A release date. I'll be like, all right, Cold Steel. Forever yeah, to make any that. sense, you need Cold Steel Four. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it's like I've seen people say, "Oh, well." That's this one argument I keep having. If people are like, <laughs> "Why are they doing Crossbell first? I want to get Reverie." It's like you want it, but you don't. You want to play Zero and Azure first because, if anything, it's more of a follow up to that game, those games for plot than uh, Cold Steel uh, One through Four. Don't get me wrong, it still follows up on Reen stuff and finishes it, but 
for once when Falcom said, oh, no, uh, Reverie is a game about three different protagonists, and it's very specifically a game for all three of them, they weren't lying. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Before we wrap this up, I, I forgot to, to mention this, but it is pretty big news for, for fans of it. Uh, Square Enix did announce uh, yesterday that they are finally officially giving an English release to Grimoire Year in the West uh, next April. Um, it is based on the revised edition that is, has info from the uh, re-release of the near replicant version 1.22, whatever, whatever. But this Perverted is going to be the 1.5. <laughs> Just say yeah. that. <laughs> well, well, yeah. But this is going to be the first time that Grimoire is finally coming and like getting an official like English release, uh, and that's awesome because Grimoire has a lot, a lot of like valuable info for that uh, universe and that series of games. Uh, in it, it, it's still wild to me that, uh, especially with uh, the Replicant remaster selling really well, here's just straight up one of uh, Square Enix's uh, bigger franchises these days. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, it's, oh, it's so weird, so bizarre, and and uh, like it to, to kind of like emphasize like how important Grimoire Near was. Like it gives you a full rundown exactly of how how why and how what are Dragon Guard Three's endings. Uh, created the near universe that's like it spells it out for you in there that's the connecting link they never spell it out in the games ever it's only in that book uh, i've been i've been like tangentially aware of this book because i've read like some of its translated entries on like the different wikias for it so i'm on the amazon page for the new revised edition of grimoire near coming out next april at least according to amazon um the way they describe this is interesting. I don't know if this is true or just them, just the way they decided to link, list the page. It is a comprehensive guide to near replicant version 1.22, etc., with characters, weapons, maps, and more. Hundreds of full color pages, illustrations, concept, story exploration, and at the end it says also includes bonus short stories and volume exclusive extras. Like it treats it more yeah. like a strategy guide first, and then the short story second. Is that kind of how it was thought of? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's how how Grimoire is like a, a good like ah. the majority of it is like a strategy guide, like with a, a lot of like pretty artwork artwork, but. Uh, around the fringes, it has a lot of a lot of like lore as well. Like, uh, I guess I always thought of it as like the Grimoire Near is a collection of short stories, but it sounds like it's more uh, that it just contains a collection yeah. of stories. Wasn't there like those short stories that they sold as like a bonus gift in the official Square Enix merchandise? Um, I don't know. I'd have to look into it. I, I don't think I don't think the short stories in Grimoire Near were ever like split off into a separate product of their own. I'm not aware of that. But mm. I could be wrong. Um, but you know, some of the stories that they, uh, some of the content in Replicant, like uh, the re new re-release of Replicant, was like inspired by content of the original edition of Grimoire Year, and then they like kind of adapted it and fleshed it out more. And then those like stories are that's why it's called the revised edition in this one to make it more accurately reflect about the fi the final thing when they pushed forward with that new content in the re-release of Replicant. It sounds weird. It, it is kind of weird, but um, that's how it is. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining me today for another episode of the TetraCast. I uh, hope you all are enjoying Live Live. If you guys have picked it up and are playing through it like we have, leave your comments in at the comment section of this uh, podcast entry about your thoughts on Live Alive, and we'll wrap around to it when we find time, as we've said. We do have all the guides up on the site that Chow, Page, and Alex have put together, and we'll they are feature complete for the whole game. We'll touch them up as we go through it just to make sure that they're polished out and as convenient as possible for you guys. 
Uh, we will reconvene next week to talk about all the things uh, Xenoblade 3 and potentially Digimon. All the other news that we've talked about is up on the site. You can follow RPG site uh, on all the social channels at Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for RPG site and you should find us. Uh, you can join our Discord just by going to discord.gg slash RPG site. We will likely, I will confirm with our moderators or admins, have a Xenoblade 3 specific channel for discussion there. Um, we will have very strict rules about in our Discord about any spoilers for that game, as it is a very story-heavy game. And be careful up uh, around the internet as well, because uh, things are out and about. So just use caution when browsing the web. And until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care, and we'll talk to you then.